Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which we disassemble a film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe into one-minute segments, and then examine it in obsessive and occasionally hilarious detail. I'm Kyle Olson from the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society podcast. Hey, and I'm Rob Cabosco and Kyle. Yes, sir. You know, I can't tell you how much I enjoy just having a place, a show, where, where I can talk, you can talk, we have... You know, we have these great discussions about our lives, our interests, all these different things, our hopes. Random trivia. Yes. uh, All the things that annoy our wives. It's amazing. You know, and I just would think like, wow, you know, wouldn't it be amazing like if you were, you know, a CEO or a creative person or someone who had a lot of things to do. Imagine if you had that opportunity. Now, today it's easy because of the Internet. But let's say you go back to like the 1950s. And you wanted to be able to have a window into people's homes and tell them all that you thought and all the things that you wanted to do. That happened for one person hmm. um, by a, a little man by the name of Walt Disney. Ah, uh, I've heard of him. Yeah, you've heard you've heard of him. <laughs> so <laughs> he has this this show. And okay, now if we go back to like this is specifically 1954 mm-hmm. on October 27th, the Disneyland story debuts, and it basically is a show where Walt Disney. Many of the segments were filmed in his own office. At the, at the Walt Disney Studios at the time. And he would just get to talk about, this is what we're planning. This is what we're doing. This is what we're working on. This is his vision for the future. And I just think that's amazing. I mean, different time, mm-hmm. different, uh, you know, editorial uh, competencies of like, the you know, the broadcast networks at the time. Look, they're looking for good content. They want people to tune in. But he really just, I mean, I think it was probably one of the first big examples of a businessman being able to be given this platform to just say, hey, here's what we're going to do. And if you can, those the, a lot of these episodes, that first episode from October 27th, 1954, it's available on YouTube. Check it out. It gives you an amazing window into what was and mainly in how people disseminated their information. And it'll give you a much bigger insight in what we're about to see in this minute because it's based clearly off of these talks by Walt Disney. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, the Disney influence is strong, and we're going to be talking a lot of Disney in this particular episode. You know, it makes me think, though, like, who else would have this kind of power? You know, there's no reason that Tim Cook couldn't have done an episode, things like this, about the opening of the Apple campus. I mean, come on. They have oh, Apple yeah. TV+. Plus. You know, like, why not? He could, like, t- walking out every time, like, hey, everybody, it's your old friend, Tim. <laughs> How are you doing these days, right? Do you like glass? If so, <laughs> let me show this to you. Well, the secret stuff, though. See, they can't do that because they, you put a camera in the oh, Apple canvas yeah. and you're going to... After, after, I'm telling you, they need content. I'm telling you. free. We're giving you free ideas. Come on. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Here we are at minute 10 of Iron Man 2 from 2010, directed by Mr. John Favreau. Uh, and in the spirit of openness and uh, collaboration, uh, we have invited our old friend Andy Nelson from the Next Real Podcast to join us on the show. Hello. Hi, Andy. Back. Thank you for joining us for this, this uh, for this last of the of your appearance here. Sadly, so sad. For now. Yeah, for now. For exactly. now, I mean, yeah. you're welcome yeah. to come back because we've had fun with you over the last couple ones. So um, we're going to we're going to go deep in here. So before we get into the actual minute itself, I want to talk a little bit about John Favreau uh, because John Favreau is a huge Disney fan and has been since even before he started working for them. Now, obviously, he's doing a ton of work for them, like from this movie. He was done for Paramount, but ended up by the time he it was actually coming out, he was working for Disney, unbeknownst to him. Um, but from there, he actually has gone on to do stuff like The Jungle Book and Lion King and all these things for him. But it goes even deeper than that because he was already a Disney fan back from when he was 
a kid and even still is goes to Disneyland on a regular basis. Obviously not now because no one can, uh, but he is a regular huge Disney fan. Uh, and so when he was putting this stuff together and like wanted to have Howard Stark come out and do this thing, he definitely said, I want it to look like Walt Disney. It was like okay, so he wanted to have the the same kind of like the model that Walt Disney used to use, like that, that kind of that same aesthetic, uh, and have him look in the same the same. Obviously, this is supposedly 1974, but the the style of it is very much like the Walt Disney thing from the 1960s. The cut of the suit and and the the posters behind and everything have very much of that that same sort of vibe. But he thought I want to go even farther than that, so he said. He talked to uh, John Debney, who did the music for this, and said, I want to have a song that's like a Disney song that can be played through it. So he actually, so he said, I want to have like something that sounds like from that time, from It's a Small World and uh, It's Great. And so John Debney said, Well, we could talk to to Richard Sherman of the Sherman (laughs) Brothers fame. And he's like, you know, so turns out, yeah, he does because John Debney is a second generation Disney person. His father was a huge producer, and John Debney got to hang out on like the sets of uh, Mary Poppins and the uh, Mouse, Mouse Club. He got to walk through the the Disneyland before it opened with Walt Disney. Oh, and one of the things is when he was wow. showed some interesting music when he was like eight or nine. Uh, his dad took him to work and said, oh yeah, these are the Sherman brothers. Why don't you just spend the day with them? And he got to just <laughs> hang out on the Disney lot with the Sherman brothers for a day. Now the Sherman brothers are a huge deal in terms of uh, any of the songs, any of the songs you love from Disney land from that, especially from that era, chances are it's a Sherman brothers song. Absolutely. Like they wrote right. so many songs for that too. So they, John Debney and Richard Sherman, who's the, the sole surviving Sherman brother, um, got together and wrote a original Disney-esque song for this. And you can hear it playing in the background of this. It's called Make Way for Tomorrow. And if you buy the soundtrack, you can actually hear the full version of the song. And I have, I'm playing just a little clip of it now. Oh, great. Make way, make And that's all I can do without being sued. So, <laughs> but but the instrumental version of that is what's playing behind Howard Stark as he's doing this is "Make Way for Tomorrow," and so he did. They did, and they recorded the whole thing so you can hear the full song on the Iron Man Two soundtrack. And it's just such a fun, nerdy thing that, like, if you're a huge Disney fan, that he put this thing together, and the thing that ninety nine percent of the audience would never even know. <laughs> but he put it in just because he thought it would be cool. And I love that. So yeah, it's interesting. This this minute, minute 10, is actually a tale of three Johns because you have John Favreau, you have John Debney, and you have John Slattery. Who right. we, and now we can talk about who is uh, playing oh, the second Howard Stark. <laughs> I just want to say before we get into Slattery, how much, one, I just love John Debney. I think he's yeah. a fantastic film composer. And he was the guy I didn't get to talk about on Iron Man because he wasn't available when uh, when Favreau was uh, getting it, that film put together, because yeah. Fav- he is Favreau's guy. Favreau yeah. used him on Elf. He used him on Zathura, and he couldn't use him on on that one. I can't remember what the movie was. Uh, some other big one, probably. Uh, I, let's see, two thousand eight. He was doing the Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon, Emperor, Meet Dave, huh. Swing Vote. Yeah. Uh, so a number of other films in two thousand eight. So he probably was just tied up, unable to jump over to this, um, or to the or first Iron Man. Right. 
and you know it, the music in that one's fine. It's not. Yeah, Rowan Jawabi is, is a yeah, great, yeah. great composer, so he does a good job. He's, on it too, yeah, he's but. done some good stuff. He came up with a great Iron Man theme, and uh, I, I think that it works. But I just really love uh, John Debney. I think he's great, yeah. and I'm glad to see him back with Favreau uh, yeah. for this one. He was on an episode of Disney has a a composers podcast called Four Scores, and so he he talk, he basically tells a lot of these kind of stories, and to, including when he met John Favreau for the first time. Uh, or like, or in one of the fun stories that he tells is uh, the first time he played him music. So he had written uh, Buddy's theme for Elf uh, and played it for him. And like he like said, like, oh, well, I want you to take a listen to this. And he listened to it, and John Favreau went, "Yeah, that's great. We really need to get something like that. Wouldn't that be great?" And he's like, "No, man. That that's I wrote that. That's the, <laughs> he thought he was just like playing him right. something from a classic film that like that we could do something like this and not like the actual <laughs> real song that John had gone off and written." <laughs> so yeah it's a, it's a i'd say a, a, it's a really good podcast and he's a very he's a good storyteller too so if you especially if you're an old school disneyana fan he really gets deep on about all the the people that he's met and uh, you know when he was a kid uh wow. hung out with so yeah how cool but let's talk about the third john let's talk about john slattery um so uh john slattery actually you know, the he came in for this and uh he was still pretty much uh, known for Mad Men at this point, even though he'd been working since 1988. He's one of those guys that like has always looked like he's 45. Right. Like, since, he was, <laughs> yeah. since he was young, I mean, like every role he had, he looks like that. Like there, there, there's, there's definitely like periods of Alec Baldwin where you can sort of, you know, know where he was, but like John Slattery has always looked like that. Not only like that, but he looks like he's from that era. Yeah, like, he doesn't look yeah. like a present day person. He, like yeah. he looks like somebody from the Mad Men era or from this video. Like he looks like somebody who's gone through a time machine from the past just to be in films. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, his first role was uh, in the Dirty Dozen television series in 1988. Which, by the way, there was a Dirty Dozen television series <laughs> in 1988. I had yeah. no idea. What? <laughs> I vaguely remember that actually. That's funny. So from humble beginnings, but uh, he worked continually. Um, the some of the things I remember him from, uh, or he had a great role on Ed, which is one of those shows that sadly has never made it off of original broadcast. It's never been on yeah. DVD or streaming service, or I don't know what the rights thing are with that. But it was a great, great show, uh, and also uh, a little show on I think it was on the WB before it became the CW called Jack and Bobby, which was a really, really interesting show about. Um, it was, it was, the idea was that one of these two brothers would grow up to become a great president. So it's, it's done in the style of a documentary about oh, them and they're going back and like, and showing. So it was like a, a typical sort of like teen growing up kind of series, but it's done in such a way as like, you know, that the things that, that, that are happening to these boys are going to influence the world in the future. So it's like it, and it's so every once in a while they'll cut to like a talking head from, 2090 or whatever i don't know what the right. timeline was uh no, and, no, and right. even will will show like historical images and then go back and then tell you the story behind him and stuff too it was a really interesting series it it's sort of like uh it kind of fell apart by the end of the, the the season but if you can check it out it's it's a really it was a really fascinating experiment and he's very very good in it uh hmm. i think he probably john Snyder went from uh, desperate housewives i think is where he got big and then obviously it went to Mad Men, which is then then basically everybody in the world took notice of um can I just he, say how strange it is, though, that, you know, because I would always do the IMDb game on the, on oh, the right. other one. Yeah. And how weird that I, I was totally expecting Mad Men to show up on the top four of his film or his mm. list there that he's known for. And it's not. He's not on it. That's what weird. are his what are his four spotlight where he's pays plays oh, Ben Bradley Jr. Okay. Yeah. Ant-Man. 
Because, <laughs> hey, if, okay. there's a, if there's a movie with, wow, with him playing Howard been. Stark and Captain America Civil War. Yeah, I was going to say, that's Howard the one Stark I would things. think of. Yeah, And then the Adjustment Bureau. Oh, I don't know random? why. I don't, yeah. Wow. It's the IMDb algorithm. Yeah. Who knows? It's but so uh, why not Mad Men? That to me <laughs> Mad Men, yeah. is like definitive uh, John Slattery. And perhaps perhaps not there's not a big crossover between uh, Mad Men fans and people who use IMDb. And why not? And why not Ted too? <laughs> or, or Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Oh, there you go. Oh man, I could do a whole podcast on that. That's the story of that movie is fast. Uh, coming up soon, the Dirty Dancing Havana Nights movie by minute. <laughs> right. Oh, oh no, 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 no! One off. <laughs> oh, you know you want to. Come on. That do sounds funny. To? Not lying. <laughs> <I'm not laughs> Well, I've I've had the time of my life, but let's get back to. <laughs> oh, um, okay, so so yeah, so we we see um, Howard, then like you know, dead Howard, uh, going through a thing, and we spend a lot of time looking at the model. Wow, they the camera really zooms in on that model. It's almost like they're foreshadowing the importance of this model for I... later in the movie. Probably. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, but we we. Then go quickly from that, and then as as the video is continuing, we cut to Tony. So Tony is off stage, uh, and he's using another Stark device. Now this is what I love about this is that everything he uses is branded. So he pulls out this little device, and it's a Stark Technologies across the top of it, even though it's a blood toxicity meter. Which I I just also have to point out, you're talking about branding. Not yeah. only does he have that, but he also b- before he pulls that out, he puts down his Stark Expo water bottle, <laughs> water bottle that he has, which probably had chlorophyll in it. Uh, and then, which th- yeah, well, that's really good. Another another funny little branding product placement thing. Did you just find it interesting? Like, okay, we're going to talk about technology he has later on in this movie. In, sure. In, Future minutes. Technology in an Iron Man movie? Well, okay, but this Stark medical scanner yeah. looks like it's off of a Halo Master Chief. Like, this is something... <laughs> no, it's all chrome and shiny. It's well, like, and it's yeah. got, like, a little screen that has one purpose to tell yeah. you the blood toxicity level. Like, yeah, right. not of why, not of anything. Like, this is something he literally, you know, had some engineers in the corner of Stark Lab say, Yeah. This is... You're going to build me a device. The device has one purpose. It's going to measure this, and that's it. <laughs> because what's going to pr- going prick on? a finger and display it. That's it. That's all it's going to do. You don't want it what? to do like blood alcohol. Con- no, just blood toxicity. So here's the thing, though. I think this design is communicates something very quickly in that his blood toxicity is a secret. Mm. So that the reason why the technology does not look as modern as anything else that he, we will see him use. This is meant to show that this has been cobbled together from spare parts or has been done in secret because yeah. it only has one use. So that's obviously a part of telling the story of what's going on here. And he, so there's only, you're saying there's only one of these and he still took the time to etch his logo into the top of it? Well, branding. He will etch his name into everything. <laughs> I mean, seen that a giant time building with the, a monument with your name on Oh. So, um, an- so another interesting thing about this scene is, obviously, we know that you can clearly tell this is something serious, right? He's checking out this. It's toxicity. Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. a good thing. What is Howard Stark saying the moment this is all happening? And he's literally talking about soon technology will affect your life every day. No more tedious work. You'll leave. You'll have more time for leisure activities and enjoying the sweet life. Ha. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. 
mm-hmm. because as we'll see, Tony has daddy issues. Yeah. And those daddy <laughs> issues deal with the amount of tedious work that his father did, or at least what his perspective was, was how much his father was spending time on his work. I just think that is all an interesting uh, juxtaposition of yeah. both what is, you know, what he thinks his father was, what mm-hmm. his father maybe actually was like, and what his life is becoming now. Nicely done. Well, nicely and done. also that he's thinking about how he's going to leave this life too, because right. like that's that's all part of this. The legacy yeah. thing is that means that your story ends, and like how is his story going to end, which is very much on his mind right now. As, as we don't know that at the, at the point of the movie, but we know that has as as Smarks uh, watching this uh, in the future. Uh, I found actually what I was I, I was doing some research on blood toxicity. <laughs> which uh but i end up stumbling across something that that i found very interesting that probably should be for later but i want to do it now because i have it here uh, there's an article in gizmodo and it was written by uh ryan carlisle and it's called how iron man's arc reactor probably works now i am not a science person uh i so as i'm reading through it a lot of it just whoosh flies right over my head but as he got to the end he started talking about what is going on with Tony in this movie? Like, what is the palladium stuff too? Because um, like palladium poisoning, is that really a thing? So he, and I, and I pulled out one quote from that that I thought was uh, particularly interesting. So he says in this article, I have a theory that fits the symptoms better. Remember the proposed palladium decay reactions produce rhodium and silver. Excess internal silver is known to stain skin blue. Rhodium compounds also stain skin and are highly toxic. In fact, because most people essentially have zero exposure to rhodium, the toxicity of rhodium is very poorly understood. This perfectly explains why Tony didn't seek help from the medical establishment for his accumulated heavy metal toxicity because he knew the doctors didn't know how to deal with rhodium poisoning. Tony Stark didn't have simple palladium poisoning. He had palladium decay product poisoning. Hmm. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting because it also explains sort of the blue lines. He's saying that that comes from the silver and the rhodium because that is actually like a, a thing that they have shown people to have. That's awesome that you pulled that up because I feel like I I used that article in the oh, first really? season to <laughs> talk about just how the, I don't think I, I delved into all of that because I was probably saving it for Iron Man 2. Mm. I was just like, how does this thing work? And yeah. trying to find, you know, what is it that these people are actually doing? So I love that now here you are kind of <laughs> full Serendipity. circle with this article, bringing it back to talk about that whole other side of it. It's, yeah, it's uh, an interesting it's really article. Cool, yeah. Like I said, yeah, it, it, flew, it flew over my head a lot of it because, but a lot of it was talking yeah. about how... The, basically, the, the arc reactor works by creating electricity without heat. Yes. And so that's how he can have it in his chest and that kind of stuff. And it was like, oh, okay. And then when he got into the actual science of like how the neutrinos were spinning around and stuff too, I was like, and you've <laughs> lost me. Like, can we get back to the guy flying around shooting lasers from his hand? Wait, can, uh, I, but yeah. can, I, can I just tell you something? Sure. So I, everyone knows, or at least you should know by now, I love this movie. <laughs> and yes, there's you do. Only, there's only two issues I had with this movie. We we the one we will get to in a later only minute. two. Oh man! By the end There's of this, you're gonna have two. more than two. <laughs> and I just want to say, you just eradicated oh. the other issue because I've always kind of wondered, like, well, okay, like, well, yeah, what does this heart reactor have to do with his blood and the mm-hmm. lines and everything else? Well, you just solved that, and it makes sense. Kudos. Now I love this movie more. <laughs> Look at that! Uh, you're, you're working against yourself. I am. Kyle. I am all business. There's plenty more to come. I'll, I'll bring him back around. Yeah, whatever. Awesome. It's awesome. That's amazing, <laughs> though. I'm throwing kudos to the people who like thought that through. Right? 
there's an explanation for everything. Yeah, they probably they probably did more <laughs> scientific research than the actual people who put the movie together. I was trying to remember, and I know you'll talk about this a lot more over the course of this and into the future. Mm-hmm. Do, is, is there much of the toxicity in the comics? Do you recall? Like, is that no. something that he ever dealt with? I, I, Not I, really. I, I couldn't remember. It's really more just like the alcohol issue is really Tony's big thing. Yeah, like I mean, I have I haven't like I said I have not read every Iron Man thing, and and like like I've talked about in, in previous episodes and stuff too. Iron Man was kind of a forgotten character for a long time. Like after yeah, he right. sort of had his heyday kind of in the eighties, and he really moved to the background a lot. Like he was not in the he was not on the Mount Rushmore of of Marvel. Yeah. Like he was ne- definitely not like a lead character for a long time. Uh, he was right, always right. around. <laughs> in, in yeah, he was pretty forms. regular. He was a yeah, but it was mostly very... like as an Avenger. Like it was yeah. like his his comic was not like in their in their top ten, top twenty five or whatever. It was yeah. just like oh yeah, Iron Man. Mm. Um, so yeah, but so I have not read everything that he has done, but I don't ever remember there being any type of of anything like this. So this was all movie created. Like you know they created you know that's typical movie one one. You create a problem, and so you can have them have to solve it by the end of the thing. By oh, that's cool. Deus S model. Any listeners who know better can let us know. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, if there's, if there's I, I'd more... love to know if it was something that did come up at some point. Yeah. So uh, after we after the the intro finishes and we see the logos, we talked about I, that before. There's the Stark seventy four logo, and then transitions to the Stark Expo logo. I just have to stop you about that because we sure. see because this is where we get to see three of the logos we get to and and going back to our monogram conversation <laughs> earlier they have the 54 uh poster on the left they have the 64 poster on the right and then in the middle they have the 74 poster and again it's like they don't put them in order i don't know why but that's how they decided to do it on the back wall behind behind howard oh, that's amazing that's all visuals that's just you know it, it, it the composition of the colors and everything else, they wanted that. Nobody paid attention to the dates. No, that's well, no. I mean, dates. really, who's going to notice it other than people who are talking about it a minute at a time? Right, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so when it cuts, okay, I love though when it when it cuts to the seventy four logo animation. Mm-hmm. They just did that perfectly. I mean, that yeah. looks like something made from cellophane transfers in front of a camera. I mean, it kind of you know at the height of what you would be doing with motion graphics, even in the seventies. Um, it just looks great, and it's very stylized. It's very Disney esque. It's it's you know something you would totally think that would jump out of like a '60s '70s Disney production. I, I just love that. I think it's just done perfectly well. I love it too, but I can't help but feel like it looks so '60s. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, by no. Like, well, again, continue. continue I know, this whole but right, all of it. Yeah, yeah. It's by design, but when you don't know that, you're looking at it, it's like I feel like they're off by a decade. With this. <laughs> '70s, the set. Shouldn't what it would be look, like so, groovy and funky? And... Well, I was gonna say the '70s logo. You know what this would look like? It would look like the old uh, U.S. Air uh, livery from the the airline. It would be all the tube uh, font. Right, it oh, would be yeah. all oranges and browns. Yeah, it would. <laughs> that's totally what it would have been. Like it, there would have been a sunrise somewhere in it with like the banded gradient. Like that's what the seventy-four logo should have been. But sorry, I do think uh, the sixty-four logo though does have a big. That's the one that has the big like circular kind of the sun emanating from the earth. Which I I just I I don't know. I almost feel like it probably would have been too much to use, but I'm like, it ties in so perfectly with like with his arc reactor on his chest. If they had gone with that 64 hmm. logo for this particular one. But, and, and as the, uh, the, the music from make way for tomorrow fades away, we cut to a news report and by God, it's Olivia Munn. Uh, but she's Look not actually playing Olivia Munn here. Is she's playing chess Roberts. 
Uh, Chess Roberts is actually a, a Marvel character uh, that showed up in Iron Man number one. Not not the Iron Man one, the uh, later Iron Man number one, because that was actually about 1988 during the infamous Notorious Heroes Return storyline. Uh, just as a as a real quick thumbnail, I've talked about this on, on, on previous stuff before, but there was a period when Marvel editorial was not really knowing what they were doing, uh, and they couldn't. They ran out of ideas on what to do with. Captain America, Iron Man, and Fantastic Four. And so they went, uh, what if we just shoved them all into a parallel universe? And they went, okay. <laughs> and they did. They just shoved them all like out of continuity and so let other people, like they gave it to the guys from Image and say, can you just reboot these and make them good now? And so <laughs> they did for about a year or so. So then well, after they was done and that did not go according to plan, uh, they brought them all back. And so it became the hero's return. So then in, uh, number one, Chess Roberts was a reporter for that. But the question is, why is Olivia Munn in this movie? Uh, and the reason is, is because uh, John Favreau was a fan of her because she was the host of Attack of the Show, or one of the co-hosts, I should say, uh, her and Kevin Pereira on Attack of the Show. Um, and so he was a big fan of hers and wanted her in the movie. And he cast her in the movie and shot all her scenes and then cut all of them. Uh, so we'll be talking about that deleted scene when, when we get to it. And the further things. But as a concession to her, he said, hey, could you come back and just shoot this one thing? And so you can still be in the movie. So they basically had her just as a what her job was as a news reporter, like, you know, talking about what's going on at Stark Expo. Uh, she and is fascinating. She's she's one of those people that has been kicking around Hollywood for a long time, uh, has been doing journalism stuff and fun stuff and now has sort of transitioned over into basically pretty much acting uh, as her her main thing um so she, I, I was a big fan of attack of the show and i watched all that with her and kevin there's like there's just something that happens when you get certain people together and they have this amazing chemistry and the two of them were on that show for a long long time and now even their network doesn't even exist anymore so g4 tv has to become was it the Esquire Network or something now? I don't even remember. Um, oh, didn't it change to Spike or something? Oh, well, no, it became Spike for a while, and then yeah. Spike even went away. Uh, right. It became something else entirely, so it's gone through many, many hands. There's a, actually a really good uh, documentary on YouTube that somebody put together about yeah. the rise and fall of G4 TV and Attack of the Show that you should check out. Um, hmm. But yeah, but she's uh, so she's she's great, and she would eventually rejoin the uh, Marvel, if not the MCU, uh, as Psylocke in... Uh, x-men apocalypse i what i heard about her in this particular film and i you know the as far as that cameo uh that she has with tony you guys will uh talk about that but what i think was interesting is when uh, favreau brought her back mm -hmm. her only request to him was that she plays a character from the comics right and so mm -hmm. that was that was the request that ended up putting the name chess roberts on her which i I think is uh, fantastic. And it's so close to being a Bond name, but it's not quite. So <laughs> so I like it that much more. <laughs> and I do think in the comics, uh, she worked for CBNC, and mm -hmm. here she's working for WHIH World News. So there's, yeah, a, there's a little change with, with who she's working and for. And WHIH has, has come up before, and it will come up again, yeah. too. That's one of the those Marvel things that they've, they've sort of stuck in. Yeah, they keep, it's keep the using MCU's CNN. Yeah, <laughs> right, seen, so. exactly. Yep. Uh, so then they cut from her to, hey, everybody, it's the director. There's John Favreau as Happy Hogan. Uh, first appearance in Tales of Suspense number 45. Um, we're Obviously, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about John Favreau uh, on our own. Did you have anything you want to talk about John Favreau I just, while you're here? I, I just am happy to have a, a minute of happy. You know, I, I otherwise I I wouldn't have had a chance, and here I get well. I should say I get six seconds of happy. That's all yeah. I get. Which is <laughs> you know very these small. days, these days, 
<laughs> you gotta just take your six seconds of happy where you can get it. Take what you can get. Take what you can get. But I do find it's so odd that this particular moment we get with him. I, I just feel like okay, this was a day they don't have they don't have RDJ around, mm-hmm. and uh, and Favreau is there, of course, because he's directing it, and sure. so he's like, all right, we're just going to shoot this, and it's going to be POV, yeah, and that way we don't have to worry about it. And I'm just like, I wonder if that's the way that this came to be, because it's such a strange <laughs> kind of switch all of a sudden to it jump is. into kind of like a first person POV in the film. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird choice. I don't know exactly what. Yeah, maybe and maybe that is the reason for it. Yeah, just purely scheduling. Yeah. Well, but. the only the only other thing it does in terms of the storyline is give you the perception of the chaos that's in Tony's life at this point. Sure. Is that yeah. if you know that he's okay, he's got some sort of issue with his blood. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's he's a little bit uh, all over the place. There's this, a Russian bird enthusiast who hates well, him out there. I, I mean, you know, something's <laughs> going to happen. I'm not even going to play the sound. But uh, he, he, this, I think this just adds on to the whole, oh my God, look at how, look at how insane this is. So that might be the only artistic way you do it. But yeah, I think it's, I think you're right. It's, he wasn't available or. Yeah. Cause I mean, they had scenes like this in the first Iron Man when he arrives at the, uh, at the, uh, the big um, donor or the kind of the fundraiser that they're mm-hmm. doing. Yeah. It's the same sort of it's thing, the but same it's, thing. but you're seeing it from, from, you know, the third person point of view. Yeah. Um, likewise at the beginning with the, when he's at the casino, I mean, you, you have it a number of times and it's never done in this style. So it's, it's an odd directorial choice to just say, okay, we're going to go uh, POV here. And I just feel like it probably had to do with scheduling. Right? I don't see any other reason why Favreau would do it. But I mean, I, I think it's, that's an interesting point, Rob, that you are bringing it up. It, it does kind of introduce you to kind of, I mean, literally we're in Tony's eyes right now looking out like we yeah. have been so much every time we're in the HUD. Actually, that's an interesting uh, thing that all of a sudden, this is the first time we're seeing his POV um, that's not through the HUD. Uh, that's not we, Iron I, Man, yeah. but as yeah. Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah so true. It's, it's interesting. It's almost like an interesting shift. So oh, there's, okay, maybe that's something to think about. It's like maybe he chose to do it because, you know, maybe the character, uh, you know, Tony Stark and his persona as Iron Man are all of a sudden like coming together and it's like something he's not going to be able to separate. So hmm. well, yeah, I guess Favreau we'll, was thinking about this a little bit. So I guess we'll, we'll dig deeper into it when we get more into that sequence in minute 11. Uh, but in the meantime, that means our minute ten has come to close, which also means our time with Andy Nelson has come to a close. Oh, I want to oh. keep talking about Iron Man. I know, yeah. right? It gets in your blood. You know, <laughs> coming right. back. Uh, At least but, it's not toxicity in my blood. Exactly. So we we have it's been great having you on, having uh, sort of like the the original Iron Master. Uh, come in <laughs> and uh, I'm sure make sure we're on the Iron Man. At some point. <laughs> I'm sure the Iron Maiden I know was um, uh, that you make sure that we're you know keeping the ship on the right course. Uh, oh, so yeah. we, we appreciate great. you coming on. It's been great having you. Uh, but if like Andy, you want to keep the conversation going, you can do so over on Facebook. We have our very own Facebook group. Uh, it's called Marvel Movie Minute and Next Real Film Podcast Executive Lounge. Uh, you can pop in there and say any of the stuff that we missed or that you think that we got wrong. Or just if you want to share Marvel memes, I'm a big fan of those. Put up whatever you want. Uh, you can go to nextreel.com. No, it's facebook.com slash groups slash the next reel. Uh, and you have to ask for membership because we're trying to keep out the weirdos and the bots. Uh, and plenty of those are trying to get in. So we I mean, like mostly, to keep our Mostly the bots. Mostly the bots. Honest. It's I mostly mean, the bots. If you're yeah. listening to this podcast, you have a little bit of weirdness about you. So. <laughs> and we love that. Yeah. Andy, as we're as we're sending you off here as our uh, our uh, guest uh, participant this week, is there anything you'd like to uh, talk about or share with our listeners about the 
the world of Andy and what he's doing. <laughs> the world of Andy. Well, as you know, I do love podcasting, uh, having done the entire season of one of Marvel Movie Minute. Uh, but I do have another show I do, The Next Reel, and this is all kind of under The Next Reel umbrella, The Next Reel Film Podcast. Uh, you can just go to thenextreel.com and learn all about that show. We talk about a movie every week and uh, kind of in different series. And it's just a, it's a fun uh, podcast. We just love movies, and it's a, it's a great way to kind of get, the, get your movie fix done. That's right. If you're tired of watching Iron Man 2 over and over again, head over to Next Reel. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. So so thank you, Andy. You bet. Thanks for having me. And I, I hope I can sneak in another round of this one. But if not, I definitely look forward to uh, Let's season hope so. Four. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, thank you all for listening. See you back here for Minute 11. Enough said. Bye.